0: All right. Am I good? If I can get your attention. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit at this question. Uh, This isn't a person I personally know, but I like, I think that's a, personally, I like that question better when I'm meeting someone to ask someone they admire, because we all, people always say like Abraham Lincoln. That's cool, but do you know someone that you admire? (laughs) Not, not that none of you know Abraham Lincoln, I don't know that, but uh, I think that's interesting. I, I'd like to share about a person I admire, admire and has become someone in our household that we admire, um, that I had never personally met, but uh, has personally really inspired me and encouraged me. Uh, she was born a slave in 1820. Uh, at age five or six, she began to work as a house servant. And seven years later, she began to work in the fields. While she was still in her early teens, she suffered an injury that would follow her the rest of her life. What happened was somebody um, was about to hurt another slave, and she decided to step in the way, and they, they threw a weight, uh, something heavy, at this person, and it missed them and hit her in the head. And the rest of her life, she actually suffered uh, serious injuries uh, uh, issues of headaches often and also would uh, become kind of dizzy and fall asleep, fall into a deep sleep. Um, she eventually escaped. Um, through her courage and strength and great intelligence, she escaped to the north, went from, uh, I like to think of it in my head as a visual person, kind of a, a, a black and white, uh, pale world to a very colorful, free world. She moved from, from slavery, literally being in shackles, to running and hiding uh, through the night for days and days until she crossed the border into freedom and found her freedom. Um, talking about Harriet Tubman, uh, who maybe you know, know the name of, um, people also called her Moses. Uh, she returned though. This, this is the part that, that inspires me. She found freedom. She went to to freedom and could have just kept going and hid somewhere and got a new name, but she actually took steps to walk back into the South. Actually, they think um, probably about 19 times. Today, we want to highlight, we've been highlighting uh, our heroes of black history, and today here at Tubman, she... uh, Went back again and again and again. She devised clever techniques uh, that were always successful. She um, figured out that uh, they didn't publish which slaves had escaped until Monday morning, so she would uh, often uh, grab people on Saturday morning so that they had a two-day head start before people knew they were had escaped. She would carry uh, certain things with her to help soothe babies so that the babies that were with them would never cry. Whatever that is, she should, they should sell. Uh, I would guess she'd make a lot of money. Um, and uh, w- one of the interesting things, um, I often think of her as a sweet woman who probably like, held babies and gathered them. She was pretty tough. She actually carried a gun with her so that she could threaten those people who wanted to turn back. <laughs> and go back when it got really hard and scary. There's a, there's a case someone reported that uh, a man said, I'm too tired, I'm gonna go back. This isn't worth it. And she pulled out her pistol and said, you can be free today or you can die. Uh, and he chose to be free. <laughs> Amazingly. I love this. I mean, can you picture this amazing woman? She had no problem moving back into the world uh, of slavery in order to get more slaves. In fact, she would, um, she would often, if she was caught, someone said, what are you doing here? She would just say, well, I'm, a, I'm a dumb slave. And they'd say, oh, of course, you can't, you can't possibly be smart enough to like, be plotting to rescue all these people. And she would spend even days sometimes working on farms with people so that they thought she was one of them. And then she would rescue them. She's she's most well-known for her work on the Underground Railroad, one of the most famous conductors of the railroad. During her 10-year span, she rescued, she went on 19 trips and escorted over 300 people to freedom. And as, as Frederick Douglass, another abolitionist, once pointed out, in all of her journeys, she never once lost a passenger. This is how she got the name Moses, as the one who went and helped rescue people from slavery. Her friends and fellow abolitionists claim that her source of strength came from her faith in God that she often talked about. Uh, when, when asked about that, she would often say, I always told God I'm going to hold steady on you and you've got to see me through. She said it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And I always told him I trust you and I expect you to lead me. And He did. Uh, I highlight Harriet Tubman today because we're in a series, and I think her story highlights exactly what we're going to look at um, today. What does it look like to be people who are sent back into a world to help people find freedom? Uh, This is our last week of this series. We're in a series we're calling Love Thy Neighbor, uh, thinking about what it looks like to to love people well and what we're saying is a turbulent time. So the time, especially as elections come up, and if you're on social media at all, you see how polarizing things can be, or even just having a conversation with a friend, sometimes isn't a conversation. <laughs> um, so, what does it look like to actually love people in a time where maybe uh, even as a Christian, your your worldview or beliefs aren't popular? So, we've had two weeks of this already. First week, we talked about who's my neighbor. We looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, and in that story, a man asks who who is the neighbor, and, and we find out we're the neighbor. And we're called to to be willing to give ourselves to help that person who's Lying, dying in a ditch. And last week we looked at the quick and slow, what it means for us to be people who are quick to listen, maybe slow to speak, slow to anger, and what, our, what we're quick to do and slow to do actually says a lot about our, where our hope is and how we can love people. And today we have the opportunity to look at our third week, which I'm calling sent into the world. So let me pray and we're gonna um, get into the book of John together. Lord, I thank you for a time where we get to stop, look at your word, your truth that brings life, uh, it strengthens us, it grows us, pray you'd use this to help us take steps to love you more and that it would cause us to love those around us more, that more people would find freedom because we can tell them who is the one who brings that freedom. Um, thanks for a gym to meet in and people together with. I pray you'd bless this this morning. Amen. All right, we're in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, you like to flip to it. We're in John 17. Um, uh, otherwise, all the words will be on the screen if you just want to follow along with us. Uh, this is a prayer that Jesus is actually we're, actually, we're actually in the middle of the prayer. This whole, it took me uh, a while this week to even decide what, I kept wanting to do the whole prayer, which would have taken us like weeks, To unpack together, but uh, this is a prayer that Jesus says after a lot of things happen. So Jesus has come; he's he's born with Christmas. He uh, then, as he lives, he's doing miracles. He's uh, teaching and preaching. He's explaining to people what it looks like to follow God, what it looks like to be a child of God, and be in the kingdom of heaven. And he he um, has just met with his disciples. This is one of his last meetings with them before he is crucified. He. they eat together. They have this last meal together. Uh, he actually washes their feet. Uh, if you're familiar with, with the Bible, that's a, a well-known story. He washes their feet. They argue with him, like, why would you wash your feet? And he's showing them this amazing attitude and life of servanthood. And then he's explaining to them what's coming next. He's about to go on a cross and die so that they wouldn't have to die. And then he actually stops and prays. Uh, which is amazing that he stops and and prays this long prayer for his disciples and actually for us. He prays for them and then actually says, and all those who are to come, I'm gonna pray for, for you. And that's what we're just gonna look at today as we think about what it means to be um, sent. So let's read this passage. Um, you can follow along with me. I'm coming to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I've given them your word it's his disciples and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world anymore, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may too be truly sanctified. Let's just take a few minutes to walk through this. Maybe look at some of these words that are being said. This word "this uh, word world" is being said a lot. And what is Jesus um, saying here as he prays to the Father? First, he says, "I'm coming to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of joy with them." First, it's it's helpful and 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 uh, important that we say he's um, talking to the Father, um, the God, the Creator, and he says. Uh, that he's talking to him about us. And he's also saying that he's coming to him. So this is right before Jesus is taken and crucified. So he's saying, this is about to happen, uh, Lord. And, and this is what, what I'm asking. He says right now he's in the world, but he's about to leave the world. But it sounds like he's leaving us here. And, uh, and this last thing I think is really interesting. We've been talking about this uh, for the last few weeks here at HOPE. He says that he wants to leave us with a full measure of joy that's within him. So that when we somehow rest in the cross, what he's about to do, in his saving work in the life that Jesus lays out for us, we find joy. Um, actually, uh, three, four weeks ago, um, we were talking about this. Why The reason, the first Sunday we ever met, uh, which was just a month ago, we talked about our hope is to bring joy to our city and why. So if you want to hear more about that, you can check, check that out, but... Uh, he starts with, I want these people to have this great joy. And he's actually praying. Jesus, God, is praying for us that we would have joy in him. And then what does that look like? In my mind, that would look, if I got to just decide, I would say that means he's about to pray, God, give them lots of things that they want. Make life easier. Make their kids obey. Make their bosses really generous. <laughs> give them maybe an extra week off of work this summer. Um, but if we've been hanging out with Jesus, we know that's not what He prays. So we go on to verse 14. I've given them Your word, and the word, the I've given Your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. Jesus actually gives us the words of, of eternal life. He is the word. We see earlier in John, uh, in the beginning of John, it says the word comes. It's Jesus. This looks like for us that Jesus has given us what it looks like to have this joy, this freedom. He's given us scripture. Actually, God's word is in front of us. It's incredible we have access to this, uh, to learn who God is. He gives us what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. He gives us a family, even just with one another. And as we dig into that and learn what it looks like to follow him and to be in the kingdom of God and to be in God's family oftentimes we see that the world around us hates us as they've hated him. In fact, the world is about to kill him. This is right before they kill him. That's how much they hate him. For his words and his actions, his claims, how he interacted with the world around him. I I want to stop here just to encourage us in that this is an expectation I think maybe we should have that I often don't have. Uh, I am very surprised often by... uh, I think hatred is even stronger. I feel like I rarely feel hatred. I often just feel like an eye roll or maybe like a, come on. Or like, that sounds so old and archaic if I share a belief I have because of my belief in Jesus or scripture or even just how silly it might sound that you worship a thing you can't necessarily see right in front of you. I should have this expectation. Jesus knows this is happening because he's experienced it and he's praying for us in knowing that. And it's also really important to know here, Jesus says he's not of this world and how important it is that we see that we can celebrate that. I have an exclamation point here in my notes. How good is it that Jesus is not of this world? If he was of this world, he would have had to try all the same things that we've tried to defeat sin and death and they wouldn't have worked. For centuries, people tried all sorts of things to find true peace and joy and contentment and unity and they don't work And thank God, literally thank God that he sent Jesus so that someone from outside of this world who created this world can take care of this problem of sin and death. We might see glimpses of eternity and goodness, but we often, uh, it falls short. And so thank God Jesus came from outside this world to help save this world. All right, we keep moving. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus adds this disclaimer, I'm asking you, he adds this this little note here, because we could start thinking Jesus wants to take away maybe our suffering or our hard days or uh, how, how rough it is sometimes or how much we just feel brokenness around us. He's not asking God to take suffering away. He doesn't say, I'm gonna leave them and leave them in the world, and then I want you to make it really nice for them until I come back. Could you just like, could you build them like some a resort they could all hang out at? Maybe like just unlimited, you know, some kind of all-inclusive deal for those who follow me. Instead, he makes it, he knows we're gonna suffer. He says, please don't take them out of this world. There's a reason he needs us in this world, but he does say, please protect them. Protect them from the evil one. Knowing that he's experienced this and knows the truth that there is an evil one. There is someone who doesn't want us. In the same way, a God who wants us to have joy and love and peace, there's a one who doesn't want that. We hear in scripture, he wants to destroy and kill us. Ultimately, he just wants us to not worship Jesus who we are created to worship. And he says, protect them though from that one, which must mean that God has the power to do that. So we know here we can be encouraged that we're in the world and we feel the brokenness, but God can protect and is powerful enough to protect us from the evil one. And there must be a reason that we're here. Not just because God forgot us, not just because he went off to like live in his all-inclusive resort, not because he's angry with us, not because we were bad kids and he no longer loves us. There's a reason why he left us here. It seems that Jesus is very intentional about this. And if we are united with Christ, then we're no longer also part of this world. and so what does he want to do with us? Well verse 17 starts with this he wants to sanctify us by the truth and in his word is that truth so not just protect us but he wants to nourish us and have us, see us grow not just uh, hide us somewhere and protect us with a fence so that we don't get hurt, but he wants us to actually grow and be strengthened. He wants us to be discipled and And grow in Him, and not just be fed, but also learn to feed others. And He wants us to do that through the Word, so through Scripture, but and through Jesus being the Word. And we do that often here at Hope. We see such great value in doing that as a family. This is why we encourage people to get into small groups. So you're not just coming here and hearing this guy talk, but you're coming here to to connect to one another and actually figure out what does it look like to grow in Christ. To pursue him and to not just pursue the world around us. I um, had this experience recently. I was at the gym and I was riding a bike, and this guy sat by me and he was like, What are you doing here? But he said it in a way that was like, You don't look like someone who should go to a gym. <laughs> oh no, you don't look like someone who goes to a gym, probably. <laughs> and I said, Oh, I'm riding a bike. I don't know what I'm supposed to say at that point. <laughs> I'm riding a bike. And he was like, Oh, that's cool. Uh, this is this your first time? I was like, no, thanks. So for the- <laughs> clearly he's trying to like ask, <laughs> why am I there? And uh, I said, no, uh, I actually come all the time. All the time might be a loose, there might be interpretations <laughs> of that. And uh, he says, oh man, I said, I often come when I'm kind of feeling chubby or weak or I- I'm like, oh, I should go to gym. Uh, Cause it-, it isn't always very consistent for me. And he says, you know, you gotta come all the time, right? To like, not be chubby. I said, oh, thanks, man. And then I, this is why you have headphones. And then I put the headphones back in. Thanks. And then we had to ride a bike next to each other for like 20 minutes, which was really awkward. But then I shared the gospel with him and he came to Christ and everything was good. No, I didn't. I just, I just hid from him. Uh, I think I share that because I think that's part of what uh, we need to understand. Jesus is praying for us to be sanctified by the truth and his words. And we have a moment here to stop and be reminded that this is a consistent thing. And not only he's praying that God would protect us, we're in him and for God to protect us, but also we have an opportunity to be reminded in order to grow and be strengthened, uh, there's a consistency. So we have the opportunity, God has given us his word, of what he has for us, how much he loves us, who he is and who we are. And we have an opportunity to read that word and not just read that word, but a family to do that with. Um, And we have to do that. And so if it's, uh, you know, every few weeks we're feeling chubby and weak, and so we quick grab it, we're still gonna kind of forever be chubby and weak. So what an opportunity uh, to be reminded of that um, as, as we continue here. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, here it is, this is what we've been building to, Protect them, grow them, and strengthen them. As you sent them into the world, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. We're protected and we're strengthened. Why? Because God is sending us into the world. This is a scary thing and an encouraging thing to me, whatever it says. When Jesus says, like I did, you get to go do because I think I'm not you, I'm not Jesus. Um, but we can't forget that he, he has said that we are in him, though. And so we get to be like Jesus and be sent into the world. We get to have found a way to escape slavery and found freedom. And now he's saying, great, turn around and get back in there, because it's time to help more people find freedom. We get to free the slaves in him. We get to love and serve and push back the kingdom of darkness and bring joy to people because we don't just sit protected in our freedom, but get to move back and be dangerous for the kingdom. Not because we're awesome, but because we're united with Christ who is awesome. We see this in other parts of scripture as we think about being strengthened and sanctified. We see this in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's this world, uh, these these two things again, right? The world and God's kingdom. So let's not be conformed by the things all around us. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so what does that look like? Where am I exercising? What's actually strengthening me? Is it that of, of God or that not of God in this world around us? Also, we hear um, this great language of rescue in Galatians 4. So also when we were under um, underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spirit forces of the world. So here's this, we are enslaved to the forces of this world who call out to us to pursue comfort and safety and freedom in things that don't end up bringing us comfort or safety or freedom. But when the time, when the set time had fully come, we're stuck in that, something's about to happen when the time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We're enslaved and God does something about it. He sends his son to redeem us, to rescue us and not just you're now free, go. He actually adopts us. He, he frees us. We cross the line into the north to freedom. And he doesn't say, well, good luck. Now you're free. I did what I could do. He says, now um, I, we're, gonna, we're gonna write up the paperwork. You're now my kids. You're now adopted into my family. And we say, you are our father, Abba, father. So we know this truth in verse seven. So you are no longer a slave. But you're God's children. And since you're his children, God has made you also heirs. So, this kingdom we desire, that's not of the kingdom we're in, that brings peace and joy and contentment, that does satisfy our comfort and our peace, our safety and the power we desire in Christ, he frees us to that. And then he says, You're in my family now, and you're heirs to the kingdom. It seems insane. The world enslaves us to these things and God has freed us to these things. And so I get to this phrase that um, is kind of the, where this all started. We're processing what we want to talk about this week. Um, this phrase comes up, uh, in the world, but not of it. This is a common phrase we hear in the church. Uh, we need to be in the world, but not of it. This phrase really isn't actually in scripture, like the phrase in the world and not of it. And this phrase for me, uh, part of my story uh, has not always been real helpful for me to have the desire to be free and then go help others become free. This, this phrase for me speaks more of, uh, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And so it speaks more of a protect myself. I would only pray the prayer of protection from the evil one and I would hide. And so this, the, the wording of this might be more helpful. For me, has been helpful to say, I'm not of this world, but I am sent into this world. I'm now no longer from this world. I now am in this new kingdom of freedom, but that kingdom, the family businesses that were sent back into it to help more people be free. So I wanna explain, uh, uh, hopefully quickly, something that's been really helpful to me when thinking about this. What does it look like then to be sent in to the world? Um, and so, uh First, I wanna just unpack this real quick. A few weeks ago, we talked about this. We'll talk about this all the time. These are kind of the four big acts that we see in, uh, in scripture, uh, the big movements. And these also help balance, I think, our view of what it looks like to be in the world and, and all sorts of scripture. It helps us to think of all of these, uh, the whole story and not just a part of the story. So we see creation that we believe God created the world, that he created all things and they were really good. And there was a time where things were just right. We're good, the thing we, we long for. And then in that, uh, God's people decided to become disobedient and not do as God called them to and think maybe they could be God, maybe they could know more than God. And so there's something we call the fall where things break. And this is, where, this is the thing we feel also often and see around us. Stuff doesn't seem to be right. Thankfully, our God is good and he loves us and he lavishes that love on us by rescuing us, by sending Jesus Uh, to come, show us what it looks like to be in the kingdom, teach us, uh, do miracles, and actually eventually he's willing to die on a cross to pay for that disobedience that happened way back in creation so that we too could have life in him. And then we have freedom. We can be rescued into um, freedom, into his kingdom. There's redemption. And then lastly, the thing we look forward to is the one day when there's restoration. When all those things are right, when, when the creation that was in a garden uh, that we long for happens again, but now in this great city in restoration and things are made right. In fact, it says there'll be no longer suffering. I don't, I don't even know what that's gonna be like. I, I can guess what would it be like to not suffer, but I don't think I can even fully understand it because I have like a broken brain uh, that doesn't, Fully understand how good that will be, a thing we desire. And so um, Tim Keller makes this, when he he talks about engaging our culture, being sent into our culture, he gives uh, four categories to ways we tend to want to go when it thinks about engaging culture and encourages us to get a balance of those. And that's what I want to help us with. This, uh, uh, we're switching a little gears and a little bit more class. We're almost like in a class for a few minutes here. Hold on, I promise you, there won't be math. I know it looks like a graph, there's no math. And if you like math, maybe there will be math. You've got to hold on and see. There's going to be some math. So I'm going to put these things on the graph in this way. The top, we see creation in the bottom. The fall on the right, we see rescue, redemption, and restoration on the left side. We look forward to this thing that's coming. In this graph, I want to look at kind of the four quadrants of what are the ways we could go as we see the world. If we, if we emphasize just maybe two of these things or one of these things, we could uh, engage our culture in a certain way around us the other ways uh, that he actually puts them not with those things he's, he talks about we really uh, lean heavy into common grace, which is what just the idea that God has blessed um, uh, all of us with grace, right just the fact that everyone, whether or not they're they're in god 's family or not, are blessed with breath and life and good things around us and so if we emphasize there's a lot of those and actually uh, uh, We see a lot of that, or maybe we see little common grace. We really don't see a lot of things that aren't evil around us, except if we're in God's family. And then then the other spectrum is just how much we are active in influencing culture, how much we're trying to redeem, uh, rescue culture, and how much we kind of hold back and say, you know what, Uh, this is, and the reason we have those in those places is because we would see a lot of creation still existing within, uh, around us, we see God's creation and the goodness around us and we, and we maybe don't see as much of the bad and, and this would be we see a lot of the evil and brokenness and it's really kind of hard sometimes to see the, the creation. And this, and this spectrum would be this way because we'd see our role as being ones that come and redeem and rescue as Christ said or we just see someday God will come and take care of it and let's hold on until that happens. So there's good things in all of these. We're gonna start uh, in the bottom right corner here. Uh, these are big, cool names, so we'll feel smart today. Uh, the first one he calls in the corner here is a transformationist. Um, and I've gotten some great language here from a guy named Anthony Burgess, who uh, wrote about this in ways to help teach complex things to to me. And so I'm going to use some of it that's really helped me. So what he says is uh, this person is one that emphasizes the fall. They see a lot of evil and they see a lot of brokenness. And they say, Mostly the world around them can be pretty broken. They, see, they don't see a lot of common grace and they wanna be really active in transforming the culture. There's a lot of messed up stuff and we wanna be the ones who change uh, the culture. Some people call this the send and bend quadrant because they wanna send believers into culture to bend culture to Christ. Make sense? Send and bend. There's gonna be some rhyming words here. Be ready for this. The send and bend. So these, so people in this category have pushed to the extreme. Um, uh, they would, they would say, we need to move into culture because it's really messed up, and we need to change it to Christ, which, in the right proportion, is really helpful. Um, one of the, one of the ways um, Anthony explains these things is explains it as two trees. So this, this is the thing that's helped me the most. If you walked into an orchard and there was two types of trees, the transformationalist would say there's a good tree and a bad tree, and our goal is to plant a ton of good trees so they will eventually take over the bad trees and then eventually we'll have a garden of really good trees. When pushed all the way to the corner of this one, if we push way, way out, where uh, we're kind of ignoring, maybe ignoring other things. This is a group of people that we've seen uh, in the church become ones who uh, push really hard to get our Christians in all aspects of life to change all those aspects of life. Aspects of life. Um, and so we've seen this a lot in politics that nothing good will happen in our country unless we have all Christians in political arenas. And so for their goal is really to, to encourage that, which there's great things about having Christians in, in, in politics. But uh, this is one where this is our hope. Our hope is that if we just get people, we'll change the culture. This also can be one that we, we can start believing that we're actually the ones uh, Pushed too far. We are the ones who are actually going to bring the restoration. All right. The next one is the relevance model. They believe, as you can see, high and common grace. They see the goodness of creation and the common good in people and elements in creation. They really value the culture around them. They see great things in it. And they're also really active. They see a role in redeeming Culture Influencing culture. And at times this group pushed to the end can be ones that actually affirm culture before they even affirm church. This group, people might call the trend and bend. Like that? The rhyming? Trend and bend. <laughs> uh, depending on the expression of this, obviously there can be great things in understanding this, but pushed too far, this, uh, this group can, can see things happening, trends in our culture, and they can say, hey, I think the church should do those things because those seem to be working, whether that's in the arts or philosophy or psychology or maybe in marketing, in in business models. This is a model that we could see churches uh, in the 80s and 90s, we saw uh, a push for uh, what people would call seeker-sensitive churches that were genuinely trying to help reach people, but sometimes to a fault of saying, the culture is doing these things, let's just do those because that's what gets people to things. Um, And we could sometimes sideline what we thought were Orthodox Christian beliefs. Uh, this one, if, if you're in an orchard, uh, they'd see two trees. They'd see both trees pushed to the end. They'd see both trees as really good trees offering really good things. And, and they'd try to figure out how do we cross-fertilize these trees in essence to make the new better tree. And so a danger in this uh, model, if we're, only, if we're only pushing that way, is that we might just see culture doing really cool things and saying how can the church do that Um, this is where we see sometimes in the church the church is always like five years behind culture around us something like cool happens and then people say we got to figure that out and then like five years later the church is doing that thing but now it's not a thing anymore Um, we often can embrace culture to help the church but not always actually um, bring uh, biblical values in that Um, right, next one all right. This is the counterculturalist model. This one sounds edgy and cool, right? This one would emphasize the fall. Things are messed up, but they would maybe lean more into that uh things are messed up. And so let's just let's just wait uh until Jesus comes back and and how they're going to play that out is things are really bad, so we got to make sure everyone knows what's bad and what's good. They become less much less uh active and influencing culture and more, this can be more of a hiding. So this is actually, model is called the rend and fend model. And they're stretching a little bit here, but uh, using words like rend that a lot of people don't use. Rend meaning te- tear apart. And so this is a tear the church out of culture and fend off the culture. So they would tend to uh, maybe hide themselves. They could see themselves as a good tree and there's bad trees And the best option would be to transplant that good tree somewhere else with other good trees so the bad trees don't take over the good trees. They're worried about contamination um, from the culture. Pushed to its corner, we we begin to make lists of all the bad things, making sure our kids and our friends and families don't touch those bad things that might contaminate them. Um, Pushed to the corner in this, we could see Uh, A lot of funding for brave souls like missionaries or pastors or those people who are willing to go into those scary places of culture and and other people stay back and watch them do the work of ministry. Um, This would be uh, in this category. You could see communities of Christians who are literally disconnected from culture, like we'd see an Amish community. Um, There are definitely things in this world that I would sit my kid down and say, "We, we probably need to stay away from that but pushed to its end. We've lost uh, the other two options of seeing common good uh, and seeing creation around us. And we've lost the opportunity to see that we get to go in and help people know Christ. The last one, uh, two kingdoms is in that same side. So they're gonna be less active uh, in influencing culture. They actually would uh, believe in kind of two realms, but they're gonna see the common good around. So two kingdoms model, it has a positive view of society, They see creation, they see beauty, they see common good around us that God has created in in all people as we bear God's image. They'd be less active in influencing culture because there are two kingdoms, two, and we're gonna try to live peacefully, maybe work together, but we're not looking to transform those kingdoms. um, Depending on the, uh, obviously there's lots of, Uh, nuances and spectrums in this of groups, but depending on the group, it might be a, we're going to wait and let God figure that out at the end. This group, they call the mend and lend group. This might be the weakest of the rhyming words. Uh, They encourage believers to mend, together the church and culture, recognizing their distinctions and also their compatibilities. Let's work together on things, uh, but not necessarily a goal to transform anything in the culture. Believers can lend their gifts and abilities to the common good. So there is a, there is a let's, let's work with culture. Let's lend ourselves to culture, but not for the desire to actually influence or change culture. In the, if there are trees, there'd be, uh, they'd believe both trees are good. The goal then is to cu- cultivate both types of trees alongside each other. Can we help culture grow in, in the good things it's doing as well as we're growing in our are things, but not necessarily a, a connection there. Um, yeah, push to the corner, there could be an element of uh, we'll continue to, to rest in Christ, and they'll keep doing good things, and we can see how that plays out in the end. So I share those. Thank you for sitting through those. These have been really helpful for me uh, because I find myself, depending on the day, in, in different quadrants. Actually, depending on the hour, different quadrants. Whatever I just listen to, if I watch the news, I tend to fall down here in the bottom part (laughs) because a few minutes of the news causes me to forget there's any good in the world. Um, Not because the news is so bad. The actual news is so bad, right? Uh, The content. So I can start believing this, and then I can start getting into like, well, either I gotta hide from this or I gotta, my goal is to get in there and change all of this. And the same thing, if I go on a hike in the woods, I think... Man, the creation is so good. Everything is so good around me. This is, I don't even know. I think God has already maybe redeemed all things because these trees are so nice. Just people, when I run into people is when I remember there's still evil. And so our goal is, Tim Keller would say, and I think is helpful, is to think, how do we find ourselves in this place? slowly moving around into different quadrants at different times, depending on the situation we're even in, depending on how our job is looking and how our family is, maybe even just how we are doing at the time. Not saying one of these is the right way, but saying, what if it looks like we balance the arc of scripture and what all scripture is? What if we look and we say, what if it looks like I live a life where I'm aware of creation and the good things God has created? I'm aware of, of brokenness and the fall and evil, I'm aware that God has come to redeem and rescue me and sent me into the world to help rescue others. But I'm also aware that one day he'll make things right and I'm never gonna be the one that fully redeem all things. There's this balance, that there is this goodness and there's this evil and brokenness and there is redemption and a restoration. And at the end, all of this, we have to dwell in Jesus. Jesus. He's the one who creates all things and we can celebrate him in that. He's the one who's come experienced evil, been killed by it, and has redeemed us from it. He's the one that's more powerful than that. And he's the one that one day will come back and restore all things. And so how do we become people who rest in him, which causes us in each situation to do this? And so you say, that sounds impossible, (laughs) How do I know when? How do I know how to do that? Maybe I have some friends who will help me do that. This seems, Drew, you've just complicated this more for me. It would have been nice just to, to do what I do. And then I, and then I hold up people like Harriet Tubman and say, this woman did these incredible things. Uh, and so, and, and we hear things from her, like I've always told God I'm going to hold steady on him and you've got to see me through. And you Say, how, how, I can't do that. I'm not going to rescue people. I'm not the person who takes the risks like that. And I want to remind us uh, as we we end here of the story of uh, another Moses, the one she is named after in Exodus when he is first called to this same thing. So this is from Exodus where God comes to Moses. God's people are enslaved. By the Egyptians, and God comes to Moses in a burning bush, and he says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I could just hear God's concerned about our suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a land, uh, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the the Hivites, The Jebusites, okay. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go now. I'm sending you, he's talking to Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He just told Moses, you're gonna go rescue the people. You're gonna be sent back into that that world and you're gonna help pull these people out of slavery. And Moses says exactly what I would say and what I would feel what I'm feeling now, and I think, what does it look like to be sent? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And I think rightly so. Moses, on his own accord, has no right going back and rescuing the, Egyptians, the, the Israelites from the Egyptians. He doesn't have the qualifications. He has, doesn't have an MBA in, in rescuing people from Egyptians. He's not, qual- I mean, and he says, oh my God, I can't do this as I feel when i think how do i how my sense of the world and god says this which is what he typically says when we say i don't know what to do he says i will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is i who have sent you when you have brought the people out of egypt you will worship god on the mountain god is with us so we're not we're not going to know what we're doing we're not going to know what we're doing when we're in our office We're not gonna know what we're doing when I'm sitting with my kid and I don't know how to best engage my child being sent into their life. But we know that God is with us. It can help us know how we should emphasize creation or the fall or restoration. Is this a moment I just need to encourage someone that one day you know there won't be suffering. That God is with us. That the true emancipator, the true abolitionist of our soul is Jesus and we get to rest in him and point people to him. And so we get the opportunity to share this great truth. So you are no longer slaves, but you're God's children. And since you're his children, God has also made you heirs. And so, friends, we are not of this world if we are in Christ, but we get to be sent in this world, which is good news, because um, we get to see others free from sin and, and have great full measure of joy in that. So as we transition to a time um, of worship and reflection I wanna share a few questions that I think are helpful in this time. We're gonna have the, the band come up and we're gonna respond in a few different ways. And I think there's some questions that we can, can think about this week and maybe right now for the next few minutes as we worship together. Who do you, who, uh, how do you feel about the world around you? Is there hope for it? And what is that hope? Asking the question, where's my hope? But also when I look around and I'm discouraged, uh, what is the hope that I'm proclaiming? Is your worship of Jesus the motivator for your engagement in culture? Maybe first you need to think, is Jesus uh, someone I want to know? Do I believe he's uh, my savior? Is he my Lord? And if not, what are the motives for you engaging people around you or maybe not engaging? For me, it's often not engaging. Why am I not engaging? Um, It's not a motivation out of loving Jesus. What model of culture engagement do you tend to follow? Out of those four, is there one that... Kind of connects to you, you thing. That's the one I either maybe I grew up in or I naturally tend to go to. Do you know who is still enslaved? Uh, who do you know who is still enslaved by sin and death and needs to know there's freedom? Um, and that might be beginning with a prayer and asking God, I, I need you with me with this person. Um, they're enslaved and I want them to know there's freedom. We're going to uh, take an opportunity then to respond. These questions are in your uh, handout if you have one of these. If that's something you want to respond to, maybe later this week, think about those. We're going to respond in a few ways. First is communion. Um, in the back of the room, there's two tables. There's uh, one back in this corner and this corner that have uh, bread and wine. We're going to celebrate uh, that Jesus did die and, and did raise from the dead so that we would have life in him. So please feel free right away to go take communion and, and uh, reflect in that way. Also, there'll be opportunity to be prayed for at those tables. There'll be people there who will pray for you. You could just say your name. You could just say or uh, not don't say your name. You can just say, pray for me. Or you can just look at them like with the right eyes, like, and they'll go, oh, you need prayer. And they'll, <laughs> they'll pray for you. Um, or you can share it with you, them, I, this thing's going on. I need prayer. We, we love to pray for people. Um, we also will be singing there. Then the band will be leading us in a time to confess and just remind ourselves of how good God is. And also the opportunity to give, respond by giving. There's an offering uh, uh, opportunity in the back here. Also, you can go online to, to give. Um, So let's respond to this good news that Christ has rescued us and let's start by uh, praying. Lord, you're good to us and we are thankful for you and that you've rescued us and I pray that you would uh, work in our hearts that we would want to love you more uh, and also then out of that we want to be sent into the world to love those around us and proclaim the good freedom that there is recognizing uh, the goodness around us and also recognizing the brokenness and would be those who engage well in that. You're really good. I pray in the next few minutes, we would uh, be encouraged by you uh, as we proclaim these truths about you. Amen.